Hey guys, welcome back to Crafting Fitness. Today Mike and I discuss in-season strength training for the CrossFit athlete. This is part one of a three-part series on in-season training for the CrossFit athlete. In this episode, we discuss how you assess someone's absolute strength potential, what is required for absolute strength expression, what role does absolute strength play in the sport of CrossFit and how often is it tested, the differences between in-season and off-season absolute strength training and examples of both of them highlighting the differences, and finally, the intentional aspect of absolute strength expression that is often missed. If you enjoy this episode, please like and share it with others as it helps us build our reach and be able to share more great content with the public. All right, we are back and we are talking about strength training today. So specifically talking about in-season strength training and how that may look different than out-of-season strength training. So um, just a heads up, we're going to be doing a three-part series on uh, different aspects of training today being strength training and then talking about um, aerobic training and pain training uh, and all that within the in-season scope since we're getting into the season. So um, that's just a heads up for what we're going to be discussing. So let's jump into the strength training. Sam, how you doing? Great. Ready to talk about strength training. The uh, Everybody's favorite, getting stronger, most, getting bigger. Most, most people's, arguably most people's base of before coming into the sport. Yeah, ideally. I mean, if you yeah. have a, if you have a big base of strength training, then you're, you're already uh, ahead of the game, which is great. So I think this could be a, I thought this would be a good piece to discuss because as you and I both know, as the year progresses, the there's shifts in the priorities in the training and strength training is a big one because of how impactful it is on the system, on uh, recovery, uh, metabolic work, all of that. So I figured we could give some tips and insights on how we think about strength training and how it changes based upon the time of the year. Yeah. So I, I kind of was jokingly talking about starting with a good base of strength support, but um, in our, in our initial notes, we start with the assessment, which is looking at what the trying to figure out as best we can, what is the person's potential for strength development and building. So um, one of those things that we're looking at there is training age and how, how much they have been doing good quality strength training. So, let's talk about what else we're looking for in that assessment and, and how that potentially dictates our program. Yeah. So I, I think the, the first thing we always want to think about when, when thinking of strength development is what's the potential someone has to actually develop strength. Because if somebody gets in front of you and they're 45 and they're a male and they've trained for 30 years, the potential for growing the ceiling of strength is, is pretty much zero unless you want to start taking drugs. So we always have to ask ourselves, well, what is possible with this person? And as you mentioned, one of the three ages that we look at, so training age would of course be the history of training and the types of contractions and, in, and intensity of those contractions in the training we also look at chronological age. So how many years have they been alive? That's going to play a part because if you're speaking with a 25-year-old male versus a 45-year-old male, there's a big difference in possibility there for strength development. And then finally, biological age. So what does biological age mean? Biological age is referring to the 
the health and the resilience of your system. So you can think about um, the uh, resilience of your your immune system, your your GI system, your nervous system, um, your metabolic systems. You can get it in the weeds on how you're going to assess that. How I just look at it is I just take a broad view look of what have they been through in their life thus far and how much wear has that put on their 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 system and part of that is subjective because i'm making assumptions on what that looks like um, and they have of course perceptions around what that has felt like um, but again like if you speak to one of our colleagues michael ban you could do some intense uh blood and lab work to get a better insight on what that looks like um, because the internal terrain is going to play a part on how much you can express with your system from a strength perspective. So those are the, the three buckets that we would look at to first figure out what is the potential for this person for strength development. And then from there, we can start making informed decisions on, okay, this is how much of a, a runway we have left with this person. And, and of those three, potentially the biological age is the only one that we can really potentially uh reverse for lack of better words like we're not gonna you're not gonna get younger and mm -hmm. you can't take away the 30 years of training that you've already done but if you've got a lot of stuff going on internally like you mentioned michael ban like he, he can you can do a lot that can even simple stuff like cleaning up which we're going to get into cleaning up nutrition and hydration and sleep and all that stuff can somewhat play a factor in that internal terrain um to to allow you to be able to express strength so Talking about that a little bit, let's talk a little bit about, um, and I think I saw notes in here somewhere, but let's talk about a little bit about like, what is strength? What do we need mm -hmm. to express strength? Yep. And good note on biological age being the one that we can manipulate and, and uh, improve that. Because that's actually, I didn't think about that initially. It's true. It, there's a lot of things we can do that can allow us to access more of what we already have in the tank. Um, now to the next point you just mentioned, there's kind of two linchpins when we think about absolute strength. So there's the brain development and I'll get into what that means. And then also the preservation of your nervous system. So strength, strength expression is a, uh, an electrical response. So sometimes people think about, strength training as you know they got to get their muscles stronger and bigger when in reality a strength expression is the coordination of your motor units to create force and move a load an external load and so a lot of that is dependent upon your nervous system because your nervous system is coordinating the sequence of all of that so when we think about cns preservation it ties back into how how much resources you have available to elicit that response, which ties into the biological age piece. If your system is really worn down or it's overloaded with uh, inflammation, uh, emotional issues, poor rhythm, poor hydration, that's going to pull away from your bucket of, of resources for strength expression. And then secondarily, we have brain development. So your nervous system doesn't fully develop till you're 25. And so until you're 20, not until you're 25, you're not truly able to fully express what your system is capable of. 
So you're not necessarily accumulating ma true maximal contractions until you're 25. So that kind of has a, plays a role with the type of training you're doing before you're 25 and also um, how you're looking at training past 25 because then the, the, the hits you take on your system become a lot more impactful. So doesn't mean everything before 25 doesn't really count. It still counts, but the, the you're not going to the well as deep as you would after 25. So brain development and then preserving the CNS because the pr preservation of your CNS is going to allow you to get more out of your system over the long haul. And then if you have your nervous system developed, then you're going to be able to express maximally over time. Um, whereas if you're under 25, then you're, you're not necessarily fully expressing. So there's more there. So you have to be mindful of that with the progressions you're using. Yeah. And the other thing, and I don't want to get too far off topic, but when you, when I saw the brain note in there, I, I thought about the desire to be strong. And we've heard James talk about this at length and like, you're just as kind of woo woo as it sounds, you're, you're not going to get super strong if you, if you really don't want it, like it, cause it somewhat goes against biology and, um, so anyway, just thinking about that, that as a factor is, is especially with female clients typically, or depending on their background, male clients, if, if they don't have that internal desire to really be strong, it's going to be hard to develop that strength. And the other thing I was thinking about was I heard this on a podcast, I think a while ago, but it was talking about one of the reasons that, um, men are able to get stronger, maybe a little bit faster than females is because in our early years, we spend a lot of time in front of the mirror flexing muscles and, and, but the mind muscle connection, because we spent time trying to flex those muscles, we're able to get better contractions out of those muscles. It was an interesting concept in it. I mean, it just intuitively made sense to me. I was like, Oh, I mean, because so often I've been maybe working with a female, I'm like, do you feel this muscle contracting? They're like, no, I don't, I don't feel it. And while that's not the only thing that matters, it, it is a factor because there is, like you said, electrical current. And if it's the brain's not connecting to the muscle as well, then you're not going to get as good a good response from it. That's it. I'm glad you mentioned that because the, you need, you have to have a strong need for something. Uh, otherwise it's not going to happen. So same with hypertrophy. If you want to put on lean mass, if you uh, want to improve your aerobic capacity, if you want to uh, become better at the sport of CrossFit, you have to have a, a deep need to do that. Otherwise you won't, there's, let's say there's like a 10% bucket of resources that you have that you won't access, you won't be able to access. And so for strength mm -hmm. development, it's the same thing. Like you, you, cause I even think of it now when I'm training and I'm sure you do too, like, well, you know, I'll do some back squats and I'm leaving so much in the tank mm -hmm. because it's just not, I don't care about trying to max my back squat anymore. But seven years ago, I would, I would be pushing every set to like the brink because it was so important to me. And mm -hmm. then you just think about the adaptation that your system's going to get by that different um, desire from the work mm -hmm. you're doing. So uh, strength development is heavily influenced by a need to, to become stronger. And I like that point around the, the, the young male, and maybe one variable of 50 that impacts the speed at which we can adapt to strength training mm -hmm. is that early uh, uh, 
connection to our muscles and trying to learn to create that coordination. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that makes sense. Cause as we just mentioned earlier, there, there's a huge element of, uh, coordinating the, t- the, the, the muscular system around the movement and the load that you're, um, you're lifting, which as a quick side note, I mean, that's why weightlifters are, um, extremely strong, but not extremely big compared to a bodybuilder because mm-hmm. they're, they have extremely efficient nervous systems, neuromuscular systems that can sequence and produce force and power really well, along with great efficiency. Whereas a bodybuilder is really focused on just growing and building tissue. And yes, they have great connection to the, the muscle and they're, they're moving it. But they're focused more on the muscle as opposed to the nervous system. So you can think about the weightlifter as they really care about nervous system development and the tissue becomes, you know, acts as a base support because they have to be strong. Mm-hmm. Whereas the bodybuilder cares more about, I need to grow tissue and, um, and size there. It's, that's kind of a, re- a reductionist description of the two, but it, it, the point I think is, is, is clear. Yep. So let's take that. We're, we're kind of talking about internal need for strength, but let's take mm-hmm. that into the sport. And what is the actual need for the, for strength in the sport? Um, and we won't, we've got some references here that we won't get into too much detail, but let's talk about that. What's the, what is, what, is, yeah. what are the actual needs for strength in the sport? Yeah. So this, I think this is real highlighting that if you look at, if you look at the six events from all the semifinals last year, technically only one of them was a sh- absolute strength maximal contraction event. And it was that complex. It was a clean complex. And that's technically not a max because it was a complex. So it's not even really a true max. And then all the other events are very metabolic events. So if you, if you pause to think about that, majority of the competitions, 10 to 15% of the tests are true absolute strength tests. And then the rest are very metabolic tests. So what does that tell you? Well, that tells you that absolute strength, maximal contractions is not as big of a priority as you might anticipate. It plays a much smaller role in the, the grand scheme of expression of the sport. So you can't put all your eggs in that basket because it's not, that's not going to give you the fruit that you need. You need to have great, varied uh, skill development and metabolic exposure to become really good at handling various tasks and combinations of movements in different scenarios. So absolute strength, as you mentioned early on, it does act as the base support and you need it. However, it has to fit into the bigger picture of what is most important in the sport versus what acts as a secondary or tertiary priority, which strength falls into that latter category that it's there, but that's not what separates Justin Medeiros from, you know, Roman Krennikov or Tia mm-hmm. from, well, the girls, it gets a little different because if you are a lot stronger, you do have a leg up, but then that ties into what the types of tests are for females versus males and how the responses are different. So that's another conversation. Uh, but let's just think about it from a male perspective. Absolute strength is not the big separator from the guy that wins and the guy that comes in, you know, fifth, because they're all very strong. Yeah. And even, even looking at, and you've got a blog post here, uh, how strong you need to be in CrossFit on the crafted site. 
that we can reference and that we're going to get into detail in another episode. But even here, looking at the snatch and the females, the, the top four females, this is from 2020 or 2021, um, the top four females are at or below the average snatch max of the top 10. So it's a small pool, um, but it's, they're not the top. So mm-hmm. it's, it still holds a little bit true there. Um, mm-hmm. And I just wanted to read off real quick. I was just going to pick a uh, power clean and here's some of the numbers that you have here. Um, and I'm not even reading through this. So uh, I don't know if this is average open levels or do you remember off the top of your head? But yeah. So those numbers, those numbers speak to, in my opinion, what you need to be able to, that, what you need to be able to hit to compete, not just participate. Okay. That was the big, okay. the big riff with it was I was asking, what do you need to be able to hit to be competitive in that? Not just to like do it, but actually to comp- get there. Yeah. Yeah. But actually do the events. So just to read off real quick, I was just going to take power clean because it's one that, so open, open values to compete. Uh, female 180, um, male 270, semifinalists or uh, semifinal level to compete, two, 200 for female, 295 for male, um, and then games level, power clean, 210 for female, 315 for male. So just to give you a rough idea, like I said, there's a blog post listed there that has more, more lifts and more numbers and more context to it all, but just to give an idea of what we're talking about here as far as the numbers that are needed are often not quite as high as people mm-hmm. think um, to be able to compete at those levels. I, the one caveat I'll add is I, I think I wrote that either late 2020 or early 2021. I think it was late 2020 uh, before we had quarterfinals. So I would need to, I need to make another category for quarterfinals because the quarterfinals yeah. category would be like halfway between the open and the semifinals from that sheet. Uh, but most of those numbers I think can still hold pretty true to like what you need to be able to compete in those, um, those divisions, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I think it highlights, like you said, you don't need to be as strong as you think. Like there are, there are minimums that you need to be to, to play the sport. Um, but you have to look at it in the grand scheme of things, which is okay. It's, it's a small bucket. And if you're not realizing how important all these other aspects of the sport are, you, you could be leaving a lot on the table. So, um, yeah, that's good. And yeah, maybe we'll, we'll do a podcast. We'll talk more about that in the near future here. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this before. The hard the hard part to put in context is it's easy to look at strength numbers and say I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to look at capacity numbers and and say that. Yes, you have open scores and you can compare, but it's not like I'm twenty pounds away on the on an open workout. It's just harder to to put into framework. So mm-hmm. so um, let's talk about um, Let's get into some some details as far as what strength training actually looks like in the season. Yeah. So, uh, our, well, I'm going to hit on the piece uh, uh, yeah. around strength adaptations. adaptations. Yeah. 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 So, so this was, so this is something I think super interesting. I posted about this on Instagram not too long ago. Um, 
and it was a question around, are you making true strength improvements adaptations or are you, or is it just adrenaline? And a classic example would be you're super fired up. You're at the gym, you got all the people there yelling and you clean, you know, 315 pounds and it's ugly, but you get it done. And then you don't clean 315 for another like two years. That was an adrenaline based lift. That wasn't a true strength expression that you actually owned. So it comes back to that idea of like owning the weight. And in this sport, you're, you're wanting to continually own higher and higher percentages in all your lifts. You're not necessarily trying, which comes back to that idea around focusing on minimums, not maximums. You're trying to, trying to always raise the ground floor. You're not necessarily, you don't care so much about the ceiling because the ceiling will keep going up if the ground floor is coming up. And by focusing on the ground floor, one, you're preserving your nervous system because you're not maxing it out and fully stretching it all the time. And two, you're going to be able to refine and become much more efficient at all those lifts. So then the, the cost and the uh, opportunity for compensation becomes a lot less over time because you're just getting more and more efficient. So then you can train more because you're going to recover quicker. So true strength expression has three, there's three requirements. So the first is biochemical ability, meaning you have to have the cortisol, adrenaline, the electricity to express strength. And that's an ongoing thing. So you ongoingly have to be able to have those in good supply. So your adrenals have to work really well and your nervous system has to work really well to uh, coordinate and be able to express your biochemical resources. And then the second piece would be mechanical strength. So your actual muscle fibers, connective tissue, the tensile forces, that has to be there, the actual uh, scaffolding of your system. And that's a large time investment. So that's going back to the training age we talked about the 30 years that takes time to build. That doesn't, that's not an ongoing uh, thing that can be manipulated. The biochemical thing can be manipulated, you know, every week, because if you're not sleeping as well, or you're overstressed, or you're having too much caffeine that can drastically fluctuate how well the electricity and the, and the hormones are working in your system. Um, whereas the strength is this needs to be built over time. And then the third one's belief Like you have to believe back to the need piece. You have to believe and have a desire uh, to lift this load and you, and that it has to happen. I must do this because as you know, you know, you're on the competition floor, there's 10 more pounds in the bar that you've never lifted, but you have to hit this and you know, you can do it. And that 5% from belief makes a difference to where you you give that load as everything you got and you actually hit it. And now mm. you've, 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 you've drastically shifted what you believe you can do because you did something that you've never done before. So if you don't have the belief, you can't get under a maximal load and actually lift it. So biochemical, mechanical, and belief, those are the three things you need to have a true, to, to truly express strength and be able to repeat that over and over again. Um, and I think the way to look at it is you, you first work on building mechanical strength, which just comes from good hard work over long periods of time. Then you move to supporting that work with good internal systems. So you're taking care of yourself, you're recovering well, you're balancing stress. 
And then finally you build the confidence on that great base support. So I go from, you go from working it to supporting it to finally believing in it. And then those three act as a nice little framework for, okay, well, what's the, what's the most optimal way to build strength? Yeah. And when you were talking about that, I was thinking about like the, I guess the principle of potentially focusing on the mechanical strength, um, kind of like the 80, 20 rule, like, maybe 80% of your training is focusing on that mechanical strength, which is going to help build your belief and help build your confidence because you're getting a lot of reps in at these submaximal loads and you're building good fibers, you're building good connective tissue, you're building all that and confidence and feeling your body's feeling good. And then at times you're pulling, pulling back a little bit, which we may talk about or we will talk about as we talk about in season training, which is going to help with the, cortisol and adrenaline and I think back to when I got coached by Matty B and he would he would always say like leaving room for some magic to happen on the competition day and that's really what we're doing there and that that magic is the adrenaline that you were talking about and the cortisol that you were talking about and if we're like you said if we're doing that every week then when we get to the competition then there's there's no room for that anymore whereas if we pull back a little bit we focus on mechanical strength and tension and keeping the nervous system fresh then we do have room for that to be expressed in you know, on the competition floor with, with that belief and confidence. What are, I was just trying to think about this. Um, and something I've thought a lot about in my coaching career. And I don't know that I've had a lot of good techniques, but I've always felt like something, I was somebody that could had that belief on the competition floor and bigger competitions. And I was interested if you had any thoughts on, or what your thoughts are on, helping people with that um, because it's not something that, I mean, there is a training aspect of just being more consistent with your minimums, but like, what are some things that help people develop that confidence when it comes to, Hey, I think back to 2012, I think it was, and they had the weighted pull up in the snatch and Froning missed a weight and then he added five pounds and then he hit it like, and then you have the other people who miss the weight and they go down, they miss again, they go down and miss again. And it's, the, it's the opposite mindset. And so what are some things that can help athletes have that belief and confidence? That's an off topic. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> question. But I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is I think some people are born more yeah. predisposed to it. Like Rich Froning would be an example. Maybe there's a genetic piece and then all of the environmental influence he had yeah. with all of his sports, all of his cousins, siblings growing up where he just is super competitive and always wants to win. Yeah. Uh, and so it, at that moment with the pull up or the snatch, it's he's like a Tiger Woods where it's just like, yeah. I'm not going to lose. I will overcome this little setback. Yeah. Um, so I think part of it is that. And then on the flip side, I think part of it is, People are just born a lot more self-conscious, more anxiety provoking, negative anxiety, because anxiety is a very powerful uh, emotion or state because it, it, it shows you care and there's adrenaline and you can really leverage that. But some people just succumb to it in a mm -hmm. negative way. So how do you, how do you improve that? Uh, well, in my mind, you've got to put yourself in circumstances more often that will recreate that type of environment. So that could be speaking to our audience, that could be 
more competitions that make sense and align with the bigger goal you have with your coach. Um, so you're in circumstances where you have to stretch yourself and challenge yourself. And then I think from a training lens, as a coach, there's probably things you can create or scenarios you can give them that will challenge them to believe and, and pull out of themselves the ability to rise to the occasion. So maybe an example would be 10 rounds for time, 10 unbroken toes to bar, and then one snatch. Mm-hmm. And the, and the score is uh, t- total time and uh, max uh, uh, total load in the snatch or, or lowest, lowest lift you hit. So mm-hmm. if you fail lift, you have zero and that's your score. Or, you know, you, you, you play more conservative and you try to hit a load, you know, you can hit to, so that, that, that variable adds a little bit more challenge. Same with unbroken sets. You know, it's like double under unbroken sets, a hundred or mm-hmm. wall ball, whatever it might. So there's little things you could probably do in the design that are going to force people to commit to the tasks that they have to do. Um, so those would be yeah. some ideas for myself. What about you? Yeah, bringing up the, the anxiety um, is a good point. And it makes me think about like if you have a fear of spiders, like getting over that fear, you, know, you start with <clears> like <throat> looking at a picture and then you start with looking at, you know, a real life one from a far distance and slowly closer and closer. And it's kind of kind of along the same lines. Like you don't want to just put a bunch of spiders in the room with them and then let them figure it out. Like mm-hmm. in the same way, you don't want to just have them snatched to a max every day and mm-hmm. like till they figure it out. You want to put them in scenarios that help slowly build that confidence. And like you said, maybe it is in training your, your training to have zero misses. And so they're building a lot of confidence in that lift and then, but putting them in more competition settings where they do get, are able to kind of push that and, and try to express it and try to push the limits in a competition setting where they can build some confidence there. And I think it is, uh, um, I think it definitely can be trained, but I think there is, like you said, there's unfortunately or fortunately, there's a lot of um, just innate ability in that. And mm-hmm. whether it's your upbringing or whatever that pushes you to have that confidence in yourself. Um, and it's potentially, you know, a lot of, I, I've confidence is a big part of my life and upbringing with my dad and stuff. And so I think there's a, a lot that goes into that as far as just building confidence in yourself and it will translate to the snatch. If that's your hold up right now or whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. if you can, if you can raise your self-confidence through other means, then it's going to translate to other tasks. And that's what I wrote down when you're talking. One thing I'll ask clients because this really helped me uh, when I was golfing, even when I was trying to compete in CrossFit, was reflecting on when have I been successful or when have I done something that came, I had a great result. And so it could have been for, in golf, it could have been a particular round, a particular tournament where stress was high and I was contending and I closed really well and I had a great mm-hmm. result. Um, and then one identifying that I've, I've had success and I've showed it before. And then two, what did it feel like in that moment or through that circumstance? So for a competitor, it could be, you had a great competition, you know, a year ago, what did that feel like? 
what was going on in your head, like try to recreate the situation where there was a great outcome. And then finally you could ask, you know, how did you respond to that stress and that uncertainty that was, you know, it's inevitable in that, in that moment. And then that little process can help people recognize that they can be confident, successful under pressure. Um, And then ideally the more they're kind of reflecting on that and bringing it back to the the uh, top of mind in these more present scenarios, you can kind of lean on that for strength. So that could be a, a helpful tool that to what you mentioned, you're pulling from examples outside of your current circumstance to give you strength in your, in your current one. Perfect. Do you want to <clears throat> want to shift now to in season versus off season strength training? Yep. Cool. So how about you, uh, you kind of lead us off with some of the things we have written down and then I'm, I'm sure you can throw in some of your, your thoughts as well. Okay. One second. I'm going to have to cough. Okay. <laughs> that was a big one. It'll just be easier to say it and edit it. Yeah. Okay. So in season versus off season training. So some of the notes here, the biggest differences is focusing on or, or recognizing, are we focusing on building strength or are we focusing on testing and being able to test and obviously or maybe not so obviously but the off season is when the training should be geared towards building and not only building uh, base support of absolute strength but also building building your abilities and building your capacity so that you can perform the best when it comes to um, peaking and testing and the intensification of those um, strength expressions. So perfect. Yeah. Go ahead. You're good. So when we're looking at that, uh, do we want to talk mainly about the in-season training, or do we want to talk about off-season as well, or just focus well, in-season? I, well, I think we could talk about both because I want. I think it makes it easier to to distinguish how they're different. Cause that's what I'm really trying. That's what I want to really highlight is how do these differ a lot? And, and what you said was perfect. There's a, a large part of it is the competitors shift in focus and intent from off season. I'm building, I'm refining, I'm, I'm developing. Whereas in season it's I'm testing, I'm sharpening, I'm, I'm stressing the system. So that, that can be, you know, the big, big picture of it. And then everything else we talk about kind of falls under those two buckets. And so a couple of the presuppositions I wrote down that are implicated in why those are different. One being large amounts of aerobic training and sports specific metabolic training are going to limit strength adaptation for the majority of competitors. There are exceptions, of course, there's always exceptions. Mm -hmm. And so that's something we have to think about because as we get into the end season, there's probably going to be a big shift in the allocation of time and energy spent doing more sports specific work. So that's going to, of course, impact strength adaptation and, and how much you can actually do f- with, a, with a, a net positive gain. And the second piece, which we've, 
we've mentioned loosely since we've started talking is that absolute strength requires time and rest to be maximized to its full extent, extent possible for a specific competitor. And that rest piece is huge because if you're doing a lot of mixed work and you're trying to get stronger, you're, you know, you're going in opposite directions. You have to give something in order to gain something. So um, in season strength training, you're not necessarily trying to grow your strength. You're trying to maintain and create space so that you can express what you have built throughout the last year. Well, technically last like multiple years. Um, so those would be like the big, big differences in how the mindset shifts and then also how the training is shifting to support the shifting goals. Yeah. And one very I guess, <clears throat> elementary way to look at it, like you, you kind of alluded to is the time allocation between the two, let's just call it two different protocols, whether it's street training or aerobic, obviously in the off season, you can, let's say you have 90 minutes to train. Well, 45 of that can be pure strength training or even a full 90 minutes can be a full strength training. Whereas when you get into end season, you can't, can't give that session to strength training. You have to be doing the other stuff to develop the aerobic and the metabolic um, capacities that you need for the sport. And so just that simple shift can be one small or easy way to just look at it from a big picture standpoint, but mm -hmm. the types of training um, even within those time allocations will look different. And <clears throat> I think we can just jump into the examples and then kind of uh, parse out the details and whatnot. And so just to read it out, you put the example of uh, off-season training, front squat at 4OX1 for three sets of seven. You put three sets of six, but I'll change that because I don't do three sets of six. Uh, <laughs> rest two to three, all tough sets. And then the next set or, or C will be front squat at 2OX1, three sets of seven, rest again. So it's six sets of seven. Obviously, that's going to take time. That's going to take easily 30, 40 minutes. Um, and that's going to be, you're going to be sore the next day. You're going to be, your legs are going to be fatigued. If you go into a bunch of mixed work or high turnover work, your legs are going to be fatigued. Your legs are going to be a little bit slower. So if you were to put that in an in-season training, it wouldn't allow you to express and to train the capabilities that you need to be fully expressing in that time of year. Whereas an in-season session maybe front squat built to a tough five and then do some drop sets uh at 92 percent 92 percent of of that tough five for three sets and you get that done and you said build to the tough five in 15 minutes until you do your drop set so it's maybe 25 minutes of training and it, it's there's no there's not a lot of eccentric loading there's no tempo there so it's just a little bit less taxing on the muscles from a recovery standpoint so then you can go into your mixed work with a little bit more intensity, a little bit more, um, a little bit better uh, pacing and able to push those capacities a little bit more to get the response out of that versus the, the focus of the response being on the strength training. Mm -hmm. And even the in-season example, the back offsets might not even be needed for some people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you could just have them build to a tough set. And in my brain, I look at that as touching strength for people. So the nervous system, their system is getting a touch of that level of tension that you, you need to lift high percentages of your max. 
Whereas that first example, the intention is great time under tension, great positions, like really tearing muscle fibers and creating adaptation in a particular squatting pattern uh, across a lot of reps. I mean, 42 reps of mm -hmm. all working sets, whereas the, the end season example, you might only have really one tough set of mm -hmm. five. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can already think about how the difference between those two would feel. So that's yes. a so very I was talking simple to coach recently. And we were talking about this and strength training during the season. And yeah, I mean, I would say that in season example could easily range from just C front squat build to a tough three to five reps and then nothing else. And then the conditioning piece after that to what, what we read out with the three drop sets. Um, and like if, if somebody has, if they're at the strength numbers of those ranges that we referenced earlier in the, in the blog of whatever level they're trying to get to, if they're already at those levels, then their training example would just be built to that tough set and then move on. And if the person is still needing to build a little bit, or if there's somebody that needs a little bit more from a confidence standpoint, going back to confidence, then maybe we keep it in there a little bit as well. Um, I know we've recently heard Travis Mayer talk about that, where it's not that he necessarily needs the strength work in there, but he just feels a little bit more confident when he continues to have that strength work in there. And there's definitely people like that that don't necessarily need it from a, a numbers standpoint, but they need it from just feeling that confidence in those sets. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that in-season piece, the touching on it, and when people are in their first – I'm sure you've had the same experience. When they're in their first year with us, and we give them touches on strength. There's, there's always kind of a learning curve there. Of like, what is, what does that even mean to just touch strength? And it's, you know, it's describing it as, it's just feeling that heavy load and that, that load can vary. We don't want to hold too much numbers to that. We're not trying to build to a five rep max every week or a three rep max every week or hit a PR every week. We're just trying to feel something pretty heavy. And that alone is, typically enough to, like we said earlier, allow us, give us some room for our, our nervous system to be fresh. When testing comes up, we have that magic there. We have that ability to dig a little bit deeper and hit those numbers that we want to hit. Exactly. And I, I think that ties into a piece I wrote down there where part of our job as the coach is, especially in, let's say that first year is telling our, our athletes that the intention is shifting with training overall, but specifically strength. So instead of now it's trying to build strength, we're trying to maintain your strength and build confidence in your strength and what you are capable of right now. And so I think that's super important because if, if, if that's withheld and the, the athletes not noticing this shift, then they could get worried that I'm getting weaker or I haven't been hitting enough tough lifts in the training. And so a great communication comes in because you with strength, like we talked about early on, there, there's a huge need and, and, and mental aspect behind it. And so you have to make sure people are aware of the shifts in the priorities and the intention with the strength training with all aspects of training, but specific to what we're talking about is the strength training. Mm -hmm. You need to know why the shifts made, what it represents 
and what's the dose that we're going after now with the shift, like you mentioned, you know, where it's, you get a touch, touch, same with Travis is a great example. It's like, you know, build to a tough three in the deadlift. He knows that that's a, like, I just need to hit a tough set and I'm done. Doesn't mean I'm maxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, okay, you're doing six sets of five in your front squat and rest is needed. Okay. These are all tough working sets. I know what the intention is there. So part of that comes with experience and training. Um, and part of it too, is learning from your coach around why this is shifting and, and what that intentional piece is as it shifts. Yeah. And the communication of that is, is important because it's not to say that you won't hit PRs. I mean, obviously the mm-hmm. goal is, is to hit PRs and then yep. frequently it does come then because you've got a lot of factors while you're not doing the volume, the volume is typically not where the PRs come. The, the other factors that are important for PRs are like we talked about earlier, the adrenaline, which is going to come during the open workout or the quarterfinal workout or whatever the scenario. And then the freshness of your system. And if all, if both those things are in place, the, the ability to express new strength is, is there. And mm-hmm. so given just through conversation, given the client that confidence, um, can, can often help as well. Yep. hundred percent. And, and the belief will be there as well because mm-hmm. you feel fresh and you have the, the resources to go for it. And so that's, that's the magic is, uh, getting people to that, that place. That's the fun part. So maybe we, maybe we wrap it up there. Yeah. I, I think one closing, together. closing thought mm-hmm. for me that you just brought up and going back to our, conversation about belief and confidence um and if you've struggled with that in the past and it does seem to always be on um fast lifts or heavy lifts then it potentially is just a fatigue thing and mm-hmm. looking at that uh because i know you know when i'm training for my iron man obviously i wasn't doing as much strength training but at the same time like i didn't have like if you told me to go hit a back squat pr not a lifetime pr just a pr for that time like i wouldn't be able to do it just because i was tired all the time, um, which was fine for what I was trying to do. But if I was trying to compete in a strength sport, then that's not fine. But oftentimes we do feel that same way. I know I felt that way when I was trying to compete in CrossFit one year in particular, where I just couldn't, I couldn't even try to hit PRs. And it wasn't, I am, like I said, I am somebody that typically has that confidence. But if you're tired, and when I mean tired, I don't mean just like one bad night of sleep. I mean, like, you know, tired over a, a six month period of not getting enough sleep or not fueling enough or overtraining or under recovering, however you want to say it. But if you've, if you've had an ongoing experience with that, then that may be a sign to look at those other things outside of the gym that are potentially causing that um, inhibiting ability to, to go there and hit those numbers. Perfect. Glad you mentioned that. So in closing, there's, we, we, we always need to ask ourselves, like, what's the potential for this person for strength development? I think before you even get into the X's and O's, you really got to ask yourself, who are you working with and what length of runway do you actually have with them? Because that's going to create clarity and also reality with them around what, what can we actually do? Are we near the end? So we need to support it and work on the things that we can, or do we have a lot of runway? So if we have a lot, then we need to be a little bit more conservative and really stretch this out. So I think that would be number one. And then number two is knowing like what goes inside of developing 
that strength and that uh, those expressions being biochemical ability, mechanical strength and belief. And then as a coach, thinking about those three when designing or, or coming up with your kind of framework for how am I going to develop strength for this person and how am I going to build those three in, in concert with each other. Um, and then looking at more specifically the in-season versus the off-season, recognizing the shift in intention within season being focusing on refine or not refining, but uh, sharpening, uh, stretching, testing, challenging a system versus building, refining, uh, supporting the system and making sure that that's clearly designed in the training, but also clearly articulated to the client, the, the athlete. So the athlete also knows that there's a intentional shift going on so they can make the necessary shifts. Um, and then to your point, you know, our discussion around belief as a coach, making sure you're cultivating that belief through challenges in training, and then also through good conversation with your athletes on when have they been successful? How, like what was going on? Uh, what were the pieces they can pull from that? And then how can we replicate that in the training moving forward? Perfect. Good wrap up. All right. Awesome. Well, like I said, we'll be coming back with, uh, more in-season training on different aspects. And as always, if there's any questions, reach out to us and we'll cover them as best we can. Thanks, Mike. Later. Crafting Fitness is powered by Crafted Coaching. To learn more about individually designed fitness and to explore our range of goal-driven programs, head to www.crafted.coach.